You are now tuned into Seriously Podcast, featured on SoundCloud and iTunes. Seriously? Welcome back, everyone, to our third segment of our brand new podcast, Seriously. I'm here with Nick Parnaby. Um, Obviously, Nick has been joining us for the past couple of sessions, our resident host. And we have a special guest uh, this week, Nick Manzo. He is our omni-channel lead at One World Sync. So, Nick, I will pass the mic over to you. Teresa, thank you very much. And we, I must apologize for the hiatus, but some of us have to take vacations, apparently. It's unreasonable, but it is what it is. So, yeah, we're back into it. I can't wait. We've got so much stuff to share with you today. And we're really lucky to have – this is two Nicks, by the way. You can tell the difference between the two accents. One is from the U.K. originally. One is uh, from the U.S., but has a very strong Italian flavor to him. Um, but he, uh, we're really lucky to have Nick here today. Nick has spent his life for the last 10 years, I think, uh, helping companies get their arms around how to navigate product information, how to sell more, and he's spent a ton of time in the food service sector, a ton of time in the healthcare sector, and um, he just got back from Switzerland, so he's probably still jet lagged. So, Nick, welcome to the Seriously podcast. I've got to kick this off with a bit of a quick seriously, right? Because that's the theme of the whole podcast, right? The first seriously is on behalf of my children who went back to school this week. And so they spent the whole week saying seriously, back to seriously, Dad, like this is that summer, that's it, right? And yes, they did. And, and I thought, well, what better topic for us to put out there today uh, as the back to school topic? Um, and, you know, because we're a company that cares about product information, products, consumer products, consumer well-being, I thought, let's make this back to school conversation today about kids and well-being um, and with your background you know in the food service sector and the things you've been focusing on I thought we could explore you know some of the serious things that we find as we look at schools and nutrition and the prepared meals that they eat um, and so I thought I'd kick us off today just to let you give a quick intro about you know the kind of companies you work with the kind of things you get into but specifically so some of the businesses that we work with I want them to understand the importance of detailed product information as it relates to nutrition, as it relates to traceability and those kind of topics. So, Nick, I've ranted a little bit at the front here just to kind of give you a good intro. Perhaps introduce yourself a bit more and um, let's get into these topics. No, really appreciate it. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. Um, Just came back from um, beautiful uh, Switzerland. And um, just to try to tie that in with all the points you brought up is, is we're out there supporting an existing customer, um, one of the largest, in fact, the largest food product manufacturer in the world. And the reality, when you think about it, that, you know, it is, it's amazing coming back to the U.S. and and realizing that summer is gone. My wife just took my two kids to the pool this morning, and I get to sit in an office, and I would rather, I would be any other place than right here with you talking about this topic. (laughs) But that said, coming back from Switzerland and coming back from listening to uh, this manufacturer talk about uh, where they are, what their challenges are, and then them, them having the opportunity to walk me through their, um, their, their floor where they show all their products of, of all of the various food-based products as well as nutritional products for, for pregnant mothers and, and things like that, um, and seeing the various labels that all of this product information has to have on it the various regulations that they have to comply to globally. The reality here is that in the U.S. market, we look at, at allergens specific to the food label and things when you think about you know, children going back to school. 
we only look at the top eight, the big eight. Uh-huh. And in Europe and in other markets, they're looking at 12, 13, 14, up to 21, 28 allergenic allergens that they have to expose and express on a label to support awareness with a growing consumer base that is being exposed to more of these allergenic challenges. And it just it wow. speaks to the challenge that organizations have to face in making sure that their corporate responsibility is about transparency and they want to provide that. But, but there's some serious uh, roads ahead that they have to face and then tying it back to kids is, you know, um, schools have that same challenge. Organizations have putting the label information on the label. Schools have a challenge in making sure that they have all the information ready to support the dietary needs of the kids that are coming back to school. You know, it's, um, I'm remembering a conversation you had in the summer about this and you talked to me about um, a school district that you were working with and I actually had another seriously moment because I didn't realize, for those of us that are lucky enough to be in really great health and are not affected by certain conditions, whether it's diabetes, etc., um, I was really surprised to hear some of the considerations that these school districts or anybody who's providing food, prepared meals, needs to think about. I think it was one example you shared with me. I think it was around diabetes, but it'd be good to share that because you know, we don't think about that normally. We, we think about these as outliers, but there are millions and millions of children or consumers out there that have to think about this, right? So just give us, a, give us that example crisply and kind of explain what that means to companies who are behind the products. The reality is the challenge that we face here in the United States is that the growing number of children with type 2 diabetes is expanding. And I, I think the latest research has shown we hit a plateau, but we're still, compared to other countries, are still relatively high. But when you think about diabetes, everyone thinks about sugar. Well, sugar is a, is a response to carbohydrates. And the challenge that the school district faced is, is a child needed an insulin shot. Um, because their, their levels had spiked. And they needed uh, and the school nurse was responsible for doing that. But in order to give the appropriate dosage, the, the nurse has to understand what the child ate that day to, ha- to basically do a calculation and understanding on the impact of sugars and carbohydrates, et cetera. And they had a, a, a serving label or a label from what was uh, on that, that lunch menu and that breakfast menu. And they calculated it all. Before the, the nurse gave the, the correct dose of insulin, she thought it was a little too high. She didn't think this, the numbers made sense, so she called the dietary specialist that supports the school county and the school district for that state. Yeah. And what they found was that the label information was old and it was wrong. And if she had given that dose, there could have been serious health complications. But they, they realized that there's a huge struggle out there with making sure that it's not just the children have access to correct information on the label, but that the school itself and all the sport mechanisms within the school, that they have access to that correct information. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to child safety, it isn't just about when they're eating at lunch and are they sitting at the peanut table, like my children have at their school. They right? at yeah. elementary school, you get the peanut table, all the peanut kids sit at the peanut table, and then uh-huh. one, one child can rotate, so you got to make sure that that child who doesn't have a peanut allergy, doesn't have a peanut meal, that they can go and sit with their friends and things like that, but that the, the nurses and the supporting medical staff have that as well at their fingertips. Wow. So, yeah. so if you, I mean, I guess obviously the, schools, the school folks need to aggregate this information. They need to know they can trust it, right? Um, if I'm the manufacturer of the product or the ingredients, um, what, what do I have to do to continually 
provide that level of trust about that information. You know, and that's the challenge. That's the, um, I hate to say it, it's, it's, it's going around and listening to the, the realities of where organizations face and the challenges that they face and how they overcome them with the, the concepts that have to start to be implemented around uh, product information, content management, product information management, governance around that information, collaboration amongst various units within the business, within the manufacturing organization itself, and then the ability to store, aggregate, and then disseminate, but not just disseminate that information once, but disseminate it in a way that it supports consistent changes. I was just at a, another manufacturer where we talked about changes to the product, you know, just like everyone else, uh, product manufacturers, specifically food, they're, uh, they're impacted by when things change like commodities. You know, one day it might be vegetable oil, and then and then that spikes and skyrockets, and and they've got to change that out to corn oil, or canola oil, or something along those lines. So what we try to help these organizations with is is not just understanding the context of the teams that have to be involved in under, in managing all this, but help them build strategies with people, processes, and technologies that enable them to build out a short-term engagement, but leverage it for a long-term success because. What I've seen traveling the world, and I've had the opportunity this year alone to um, be in, in Asia, the Middle East, Europe, and obviously the U.S., including Latin America, um, this is a global challenge around making sure that the correct information on what we consume is available to us in the easiest way possible because not everyone is a dietary specialist, and no matter what you say, Google search does not necessarily equal a medical degree. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. how do you no, give them it. how do you give them that information in the right way? Consistently. Absolutely. It's 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 pretty profound. I mean it must be tough being a nutritionist hoping that the company behind you has all these systems and procedures in place to support the claims, right? And and, and presumably, you know, we talked about back to school and the kids' nutrition here, but the same exact thing has to apply anywhere in a food service environment. I mean in the hospital for example if I'm a dietitian and I'm supporting a patient, or even the visitors that come, you know, now people are very, very conscious of what they're eating. I, I imagine the hospital systems need to care about this as well, right? Yeah, hospital systems, higher educational systems. I mean, even even corporate entities that have very engaged corporate policies around awareness for nutrition for their staff. I mean, we have customers that support some of the largest companies in the world. And they're requesting that when a, an employee is able to go down to the, the local cafeteria in their building, that that cafeteria, that line, has the ability to expose every nutritional aspect of the product, allergenic dietary requirements, claims, organic, GMO, for their, um, their employee base. Wow. It, it extends beyond all that. And, and to the hospital side, the healthcare perspective, it's a huge challenge, right? It's all about preventative care, preventative maintenance, right? Moving away from treating the, the problem as it is, but, but really starting with how do you uh, understand the symptoms and then build the plan for maintenance and management as you go forward. And, yeah. and food is a large part of that, right? It's a huge part of it. Well, I mean, presumably, you know, this stuff, it doesn't, it's not cheap. It costs money. So, you know, people you know, need to invest in systems to aggregate the stuff, to keep it fresh, you know, to make sure the content's trustworthy. Clearly, a lot of companies out there will do that purely based on conscience and the fact that they just, you know, they obsess and they're maniacal about their customers, right? Other companies may not have the budget and they may be driven by regulations, right? Maybe, for example, to get the business case together 
or to justify uh, the investment, you know, uh, what kind of regulations are out there or on the horizon, maybe kind of top two or three in it, that, you know, our guys that listen to these podcasts should care about, and kind of what's the implications of those? No, absolutely. It's a great call. So, so in the U.S., I mean, specifically, you've got um, the new USDA labeling requirements, which are going into effect in early 2018 for large-scale and mid-scale manufacturing, small-scale manufacturing. They have about a year to comply which requires uh, some, some subtle but very uh, impactful changes, and maybe some aren't so subtle, on food labeling, right? So uh-huh. the biggest challenge of food labeling is, I mean, I, I face it every day when you're in an airport and you want to make sure that you don't just keep on eating McDonald's and wake up one morning and you're <laughs> good once in a while, but, you know, you want to, uh, you want to have a, a well-balanced diet. But that said... Um, showing a complete serving size. So understanding that if you're eating one serving, it's X, but if the package you bought the product in has multiple servings and you consume the whole thing, not requiring you to carry a calculator and do X times the number of servings. So that's one of the big changes that will happen with the uh, USDA labeling requirements. Yeah, right, so, manuf- so manufacturers and uh, distributors, they've got about a year to kind of really get this thing get it to a point where they can just do it day in, day out. It's not it's, it's systems to support it, right? They've got kind of until, what, April, you said, or to the beginning of 2018? Beginning of 2018, and then smaller size companies have until 2019 to comply. And it's legal and regulatory, right? So there would be teeth in this. It's not like a voluntary thing. Okay. No, it's well, so in the healthcare space... Uh, there's been a rule that has been out for over is 2016, is as early as late 2013, which is the uni- unique device identification rule from the FDA. And that simply stated is a combination of not just labeling requirements, but labeling plus information sharing. In 2014, the FDA uh, essentially made public a product database that is supposed to contain, by law, information on various products that are used to support the healthcare space. And in, and in the healthcare space, products are usually defined as either medical device and or pharmaceutical. The uh-huh. interesting thing around this is that uh, the FDA rule requires a label change. So the consistency around ensuring that there are labels on all of these products, as well as the manufacturer doesn't have to just change the label, but they have to provide label-based information plus information that you will not find on the label to a comprehensive database that the FDA managed so that clinicians, um, nurses, um, surgeons, even consumers can search products that were used in either, either a surgical procedure and or a procedure in which they were involved in in a hospital and or elongated hospital stay. Wow. So, you know, I'm just thinking this through from the, just taking it to its barest essence, there's a complete seriously in here, right? Because until maybe 2013, whenever this stuff kicked off, I could sit there and say, hey, I've had an operation and had a stent put into my heart or my valve or whatever because I ate far too many Dunkin' Donuts. And until 2013, nobody was able to tell me whether or not the product that was put into me is defective and there could be a recall and a recall on a human being. We're not talking about my vehicle here, right? Seriously, like 2013, that stuff, I mean, thank God the FDA is all over this stuff, right? As a consumer, that's, a, that's amazing to me. Um, is that what we're talking about here, Nick? We're talking about a sort of a recall 
based database as well. This can be useful for patients who have had defective medical devices implanted into them. Yeah, we're not yet at the point where you get a recall notice and can drop your left leg off at the local dealership. <laughs> now, seriously, we're at the we're, we're at the place where you have something that's potentially a defective product embedded in your body. Um, you're talking yeah. exactly your point. Hospital visit, hospital stay, dollars, etc. So it, it it is truly an intent by the healthcare space and the understanding of the regulatory regulatory organization within the United States government, and, and now it's expanding to governments around the world, um, uh -huh. is that there, there needs to be more transparency around what is going in and staying in the body. And the last right. point I'll make on, on the UDI piece is the interesting thing is um, the way the FDA classifies in the U.S. medical devices is they have class 3, class 2, and class 1. And class 3 are, think about it as, as, as you mentioned, implantables that will stay in the body. Right, class yep. two are surgical products that are are supportive of surgical um, medical devices that are important of surgical procedures on a daily on a regular basis. I'm trying to condense this down into simplistic terms. Yep. Class one are basically general use. Um, the interesting thing that you can find if you're a consumer or any manufacturer that may not realize that you may have a class one medical device is class one medical devices are band aids, they're gauze, uh -huh. right? It's oh, so, this, so this really, I mean, it could be it's like a, a, a surgical glove could be, quote-unquote, a medical device in this context. Huh? You got it. Well, that's, in, that's interesting. So, I mean, because, I mean, I, I've got some experience in the healthcare space, the, the, the acute care hospital space. There's probably about 1,500 companies that supply those in just the USA alone, probably the same outside of the US, right? That's a lot of companies that need to start thinking about how they get some of this information about these products into the FDA database. Is this, this is happening right now, I know we're supporting this, but um, is this something that folks are really taking seriously at this stage? Um, does it have, have teeth in the legislation from the FDA? It, it has everything. It has teeth, it has legislation, it has fines, and it has a, a statement that if the data is not in the database by certain dates, you know, there's a date for class three, dates for class two, class two devices actually, um, September, October of this year, in class one, that you are not allowed to sell that product in the United States. And to your question about whether or not organizations are, are prepared, um, the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And, and reality is, humans sometimes procrastinate. And so yeah. we've even seen organizations who have gotten notices by the FDA that they need to have all their data ready to be sent by June of this year are calling us up asking, can we support them and load? of this data at, on August 26th, 2016, when they have less than a month to provide this information. Uh -huh. so, yeah, well, human nature, we always leave our uh, assignments to the last minute, don't we? But I mean, this, you know, this one, uh, I think when there's teeth in the legislation on these things, companies tend to do the right thing. I think yeah, there's, I, I, there's one more, it'd be good to kind of maybe finish up on this as well, uh, Nick, because we're, we're getting to grips with this right now. Some of these things are voluntary and companies uh, are not yet required to do it. And I'm speaking specifically to something called uh, the GMA Smart Label. Um, uh, and maybe you want to give a quick overview of what that is because you and I have talked about this in the past a few weeks. Um, this is a good example of something that's currently voluntary for a company, but it's not really um, the retailers that are asking for this, it's the consumers that are expecting it, right? Just give us a quick thumbnail and we can maybe finish up on this. 
because I do believe it's getting a lot of traction right now. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great way to come fat round circle on what we talked about it is um so GMA uh a number of and years it, ago. And this yeah. is just for for everybody else's benefit, that's the Grocery Manufacturers Association here in North America, right? Yep, fantastic. Thanks for bringing that up. Because you know how much we love acronyms, seriously. Um, yeah. <laughs> GMA, uh, a number of years ago, realized that with the growing movement around transparency and the need for consumer transparency around products, not just products you consume, but products you use, um, they decided to start an initiative in around um, basically how do we head the idea off at the pass? How do we, do we not allow a UDI regulation to come into effect by basically making it a mandate by law that you must do this and, and how can the industry come together to show both the consumer space but as well as the regulatory and political body that they understand that there needs to be more transparency on products. Right, so, so like, like a manufacturer, you mean like a Hershey or a Campbell's who's out there in the news saying, you know what, we want to show consumers what's in our products, we don't want to be told by some government, we honestly put our heart on our sleeve with our products, we're going to show the consumers what's in our products, because that's what you're talking about, right? You got it. They, they, are, they are part of their corporate governance, their corporate strategies, their missions, their visions. You know, these, some of these large-scale organizations, they're not really trying to hide things, that's not the intent, but they want to show. They want, to, they want to deliver, they want to be transparent. So they came together, a large group of these, the, the largest organizations in the world, large manufacturers in the world, and agreed that they would start to implement this, this thing called Smart Label. And the Smart Label, again, is, is similar to this UDI concept, but it's, it's two things. It is the potential for utilizing a, a piece of information on the label, which allows a consumer to bounce off via some type of app and or, you know, even a, um, potentially just using some type of code to bounce to a place where they can see more information on the product that is not necessarily on the label itself, right? Right, right, right. So, so, so if my, just bring it back to our back-to-school example, my daughter's sitting in the cafeteria, one of her friends says, hey, would you like my spare cliff bar? she can pull out her phone, scan the label, and all of a sudden it will show her everything that's in that cliff bar and the products and nutrients. Is that what we're talking about? It's exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's how do you take the fact that what this latest statistic is, says by 2020, what, 80% of available individuals will have some type of mobile device, right? Internet-ready mobile device, some crazy statistic, 2025. Right. Yeah, how do you take advantage of that? Another planet will have a mobile device by 2020. I remember that statistic. Yeah. So, so the reality is, is that my kids, my seven-year-old, will not have a cell phone. But I'm assuming there are seven-year-olds that do have cell phones. Um, but, but for those that do, you know, they could take advantage of this initiative, and, and then if those companies are complying, they could scan the the package. Right? Could be anything. Right. Could be a cereal bar. Could be a, a prepackaged. Uh, a uh, piece of food, could scan it, bounce out to a site, and get all the necessary pertinent information that they can read in an easily searchable, consistent form to make a more consumed decision about what they may put in their body. Right, right. So it sounds like whilst it's not a legal mandate, companies that really want to get ahead of the transparency movement, as you call it, right, transparency of what's in the product, have an opportunity to get ahead of this, expose the product's information, in the way these guys envisaged on this smart label, 
and be among the first companies to do that, right? And I think there's probably, at least I heard, there's probably at least 40 or 50 major brands who are on board this. I've seen Campbell's Soup and Hershey's, you know, totally all in on this thing. Tyson, um, Unilever, Kellogg, a number of them, right? They've all, yeah. they've all committed to this, even the non-food, someone like P&G, they've all committed to this at a CEO level and are committing to it from an organization level. But the challenge goes back to everything we talked about is, the reality that these entities face, and it's all manufacturers, is when they first started their operations, they focused entirely, and, and rightly so, on the manufacturing, right, the, the branding, the yeah. distribution, and the selling of that product. And when you look back, it's at the explosion that things like, uh, you know, Google, Amazon, and, and all the various forms, you know, look, Walmart just bought Jet.com for, what, $3 billion plus, $5 billion? Uh -huh. E-commerce and the exposure that that has on our daily lives has created this awareness around having more availability of information in a ready-to-use environment driven by the fact that everyone or most people have access to a handheld computer at all times. You know, it sounds like, I mean, I'll, I'll bring this home a little bit because I know we're, we're um, trying to keep these podcasts to stop people falling asleep, even though we are so engaging, why would they, right? But yeah, I would say <laughs> this is an opportunity, right, for companies to go back to school because it sounds like, you know, I've had conversations on this topic as well with customers recently. It sounds like if I manage, um, if I'm the guy that shares this information with Walmart uh, or if I share this information with Safeway or a retailer, I'm, a, I'm in charge of managing my customers. They may not be hearing this yet because it's actually coming from the consumer. And so it's actually probably the marketing department in these manufacturers who cares the most right now about being a transparent organization, right? And I think maybe the, the operation side of these big companies needs to go back to school with the marketing guys and decide where they stand. Do you stand on the line of, we'll do this when we're told to, or we'll do this because we really feel that this is what we want to do for the consumer? And I think that's, it sounds like there's a, that, that's the, where the smart label is right now. Would that be a good way to characterize it, Nick? It would, and, I, and, I, and I'd add to that, you know, what, uh, six years ago, uh, I was speaking at a conference, and, and what I said there uh, then applies dramatically today. You know, the reality of speaking to a number of manufacturers in a separate space and walk them through um, a day in the life of me with my, with my three-year-old oh, at the time, which was, you know, she at that age, and most people probably listening who have children and or have grandchildren that age can, can attest, she at that age could take an iPhone, scan your code, know your code, swipe through, and find an app that she wants to play with. That's the consumer of the future. That's the consumer of today. Those children then that are growing up to be young adults and, and eventually young professionals, those are the consumers of tomorrow. They expect and demand all the access that they want on everything that they want to consume immediately and transparently and consistently in all the devices that they have to support how they, they run their lives. And if, if you can't look at it as a manufacturer and say, or even a, a, a distributor, a retailer, a food service operator, a healthcare facility, any one of those entities, you can't look at it as this is coming, this is here. You have to figure out how you're going to work with it, how you're going to deal with it, how you're going to support it, and how you're going to grow with it. And that's yeah. the challenge that everyone faces. Well, you know what? We talk manufacturers a lot for the whole 
podcast, right? But, you know, I'm just thinking in my mind, we've got tons and tons of retail customers. If I'm a retailer that has private label, honestly, I would be thinking about putting a smart label on that private label before the branded manufacturer does it, you know? Look at this. I'm Costco, and uh, here's my Kirkland brand. And look how transparent it is to the consumer, you know? Just giving an example, right, as of a retailer who has a private label brand. It's high quality, right? I would be all over that right now um, if I was in the marketing department of a retailer who has private label. So, um, all right, I'll bring this home now, Nick. I, I know we stole your time. You got more than we bargained for, which is great. Um, thank you very much for joining today. I think once you get some sleep after your varied travels around the world, we're going to invite you back, um, but with one condition. I think you need to bring one of these customers in, and we'll have them do a seriously podcast, like whether it's the school nutrition guys, whether it's one of these big manufacturers. I think as a follow-up, it would be wonderful to have um, one of these customers outline their, their experiences in this whole topic area and uh, how they went back to school you know, on this whole thing. So uh, that's my challenge to you, other than to thank you for joining us today. And um, it's been a pleasure, my friend. No, thank you. Challenge accepted. And when I get a little more sleep, I'll figure out uh, who would probably be a good company that we could work with. Is there a ton out there that would love to tell their story and, and love to walk everyone through how they did it, what they did, and, and what they see as moving forward. Excellent. Well, hold you to it. Well, thanks, Nick. And Teresa, thank you again for keeping us on track. Yeah. And we'll see you for the next one. Yes, and just a reminder to everyone to subscribe to our Seriously podcast channel on SoundCloud or iTunes. Seriously?